Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right, what's up, Liquid Church? I should wish you happy summer. In fact, uh, we want to wish happy summer to all of our campuses who are joining us around New Jersey and through Church Online. Can we say happy summer to them on three? Ready? One, two, three. Happy summer. We're glad you guys are with us. We're glad you're here, especially today is our final installment of the series Soul Pathways, in which we've been talking about all the different ways that uh, Christians are wired to connect deeply with God. And over the, the first uh, few weeks, we have looked at four different spiritual temperaments, what we've been calling Soul Pathways. And it's been so much fun, activist, contemplative, naturalist, and uh, intellectual. It's been fun to see a lot of you guys trying these out. Some of you have actually posted photos of your pathway on Instagram and Facebook. I have seen naturalists uh, from some of our campuses who have, you know, taken to the outdoors, gone kayaking, uh, you know, to connect with God in the great outdoors. I've seen activists in our church connecting with God by digging a clean water well for the poorest of the poor in Nicaragua. Uh, contemplatives, this is fascinating, our entire staff, we took a contemplative prayer retreat this week. We had an entire day where the staff, we put away all the emails, all of our stuff, we just slowed down and connected with God through contemplative prayer. It was very hard for some of us to be quiet, but we did do that. We even have intellectuals. A few of you took up Pastor Nithin on his book recommendation, Good Faith Being a Christian When Society Thinks You're Irrelevant and Extreme. That is on my summer reading list. It was fun to see some of you photograph it on your beach towel. The whole goal of the series was really to teach you how to feed yourself spiritually no matter where you are this summer. Whether you are outdoors and connecting with God or, or you're serving at our outreach and connecting with Him that way, maybe it's pulling away in silence and solitude or just engaging our culture by feeding your mind. The Bible gives us all these ways to strengthen your soul by connecting with Christ. Well, today we're going to wrap up this series by looking at the final two pathways on our menu, and that is sensate and traditionalist. If you remember, a sensei is defined as a Christian who loves God through music, the arts, and the five senses. This is actually the dominant worship style on our church on Sundays. If you've been to Liquid, you know we value the arts. In fact, today, we have a live artist visiting with us. Mike Brennan, would you welcome him? Mike is a visual artist. We're glad you're here. And this is going to be kind of fun today. Mike is actually going to be painting live on stage throughout today's service. So while I speak and you sing, Mike is going to be uh, creating this artistic interpretation of the heart of worship in our community. So you want to stick around at the very end to kind of see what this is. Pretty cool. But at Liquid, you should know this, right? We embrace the arts. We are a church that loves music and multimedia. Uh, you've probably noticed we like our speakers loud and our screen's big, because uh, we think worship should really engage all five senses. I know some of you are like, engage the senses, the music assaults my eardrums, turn it down, you know? Uh, that's because you may be a traditionalist, which is more loving God through kind of those traditional avenues of ritual and sacraments and symbol. Maybe you're like, I, I would prefer a, a worship style, Tim, that is, you know, less modern, less multi-sensory. Maybe you'd prefer quietly singing a traditional hymn or reciting a, a creed or an ancient psalm, or maybe you just crave a quiet moment of prayer and reflection. That's awesome. Today, we are going to make room for some traditional elements in our worship experience, too. 
because based on the hundreds of online surveys you guys took, Sensate is actually the number one worship style at Liquid of people who attend here. they very multi-sensory. Traditionalist was last on the list, uh, but today we're going to blend the two together. In fact, we've planned a worship experience that's designed to engage all five of your senses, sight, sound, smell, taste, and what's the other? Touch. So regardless of your worship preference today, it's going to feel a little different. Usually I stand up here, right, and I talk for, you know, 30 or 40 minutes, but today we're going to break it up. I'm going to speak in much smaller and shorter segments, and in between, you're going to actually, you know, stand up, sit down, you're going you're gonna, to uh, sing loudly, pray quietly. In fact, later in the service, I'm going to invite you to get up out of your seat and move about the cabin today. As you approach the cross of Jesus, you will actually have a chance to uh, interact in a very personal way, light a candle, and then receive communion. Now, don't freak out. I'm going to tell you when to do all this. Have you ever, like, visited a church for the first time, and you're just like, I don't know when I'm supposed to stand up, sit down, move all around. Don't freak out. I'm going to make this super obvious. I'm going to give you all the cues for this. But the reason we want to conclude this series by engaging all five of your senses is that we really serve a God who is multisensory. The God of Scripture is loud. He is colorful. And whenever the Bible describes God on his throne in heaven, the effect on humans is overwhelming. Because there's, you know, there's thunder and lightning, there's smoke, there's burning incense, there's chanting angels. For example, in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, the prophet receives this vision of heaven. And he says this, he says, I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning surrounded by brilliant light. And the center of the fire looked like glowing metal. And in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was human, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Now, these supernatural creatures, they're actually called cherubim. And these are basically kind of the killer angels who encircle the throne of God. I realize most people hear that word angel, right? And you think of a, you know, a cute little fat little fluffy baby, you know, with its wings and its little harp. That's not how the scripture describes them. Ezekiel describes these kind of fearsome, powerful creatures with four wings, and they're kind of burning with fire, and they're racing back and forth around the throne of God. And in Revelation, they are actually joined by seraphim, angels with six wings, who are covered in eyes, chanting, holy, holy, holy. Ezekiel writes, when the creatures moved, I heard the sound of their wings, like the roar of rushing waters, like the voice of the Almighty, like the tumult of an army. Talk about sensory overload. Ezekiel is given this, this experience of worship in heaven, and all five of his senses are engaged, right? He feels a wind. He sees lightning. He hears the sound of rushing waters. And all of this is happening around the throne of God, which sparkles like sapphire. And there's burning incense, so there's smells. And then God actually tells Ezekiel to do something very weird. He says, I want you to eat a scroll. Basically, a scroll represents the word of God. I want you to eat my word and take it into yourself. So you have all five senses, sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch. And when the worship encounter is over, Ezekiel basically, he falls down because he's so overwhelmed by the multi-sensory presence of God, he actually sits quietly stunned for seven days. That's the impact if you were transported into God's presence right now. You would be overwhelmed. God... This is the God of the universe that you and I worship. He is powerful. 
He is great and he is glorious. Amen? Guys, these are the grander visions of God that have inspired artists in the church down through the ages and still inspire sensate Christians in the church today. In fact, this is kind of fun. I took a photograph this week of what I think is the most biblically accurate picture of seraphim angels I've ever seen. Let me show it to you. Here it is. You'll notice it's a tattoo. It's a tattoo of somebody in our church. And you may be like, man, who gets a six-winged, eyeball-covered, you know, killer angel chanting holy, holy, holy on their arm? And the answer is our graphic designer. <laughs> Greg Crippen, he's actually our graphics director. He is a sensei. That's his body art on his, on his left arm. And, and when you're here on Sunday and you enjoy the, you know, the graphics and the slides and the visuals, the programs, all that, that is Greg. And when I said to Greg, you know, why did you get a massive seraphim tattooed on his arm? He's like, it would look really cool in the biker bar. No, he didn't say that. He said, it's a daily reminder to me, Tim, that I was created to ceaselessly worship God, to show his glory through the arts, and actually expect Christ's return. Isn't that cool? Every week, we have this battery of artists who serve as the hand of God to help bring our faith visually to life at Liquid. So can we thank Greg and Mike and our entire creative team? We're just super blessed by the artists in our church. And see, here's the deal, guys. This is not new. For 4,000 years, art and visual design have played a key role in the life of God's people. In fact, in my research this week, I came across this fascinating detail. You probably don't know this. Um, in the Bible, the first record of the Holy Spirit actually specially filling a believer, the Holy Spirit filling them for a specific purpose, is a graphic designer. I'm serious. His name was Bezalel. And when God in the Old Testament first gave instructions for like how to design and build the tabernacle, here's what Exodus 30 says. It says, the Lord said to Moses, see, I've chosen this guy named Bezalel, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze. So he's a metal worker to cut and set stones, so he's a gem worker, to work in wood, he's a craftsman, to engage, God says, in all kinds of crafts. Now, think about this. This is the first time that God actually ever says, I'm going to specially fill a believer with the Holy Spirit that's going to enable them to do what? To be a preacher? No. To be a priest? Nope. To be a king? Nope. I am going to fill him with the Holy Spirit to be an artist <laughs> so that he will actually know how to paint work with metal, work with gemstones, make intricate multimedia designs that reflect the glory of God so that whenever people come to my house, step into my presence, they will understand I am a multi-sensory God. Talk about artistic inspiration. In fact, that word inspiration, you ever wonder where that comes from? This is where we get the word inspired. It's inspirited. In other words, the spirit inside of you, you're inspirited or inspired. In a lot of ways, Christians should be the most creative, artistic people in the world because you and I have something different than the world. We are actually filled with the Holy Spirit, and we receive this revelation of God's glory and beauty in Scripture. And for thousands of years, great art in the West, I mean the high art, was inspired by a single source, and that was the Christian church. Artists communicated the story of God through painting and sculpture and depicted our faith visually. I think of Michelangelo. You probably know, even if you've never been to church before, you've seen the, the creation of Adam, his famous fresco painted on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Have you ever been to the Sistine Chapel, the Vatican? I've been there. It's incredible. Just a visual feast for the eyes. 
Rembrandt, who depicted the sacrifice of Isaac, where Abraham, the father of our faith, spares the life of his only son. That was met in response by Diego Velasquez, who created Christ crucified, where God actually allows the sacrifice of his only son. Leonardo da Vinci, of course, the Last Supper, and my favorite, Caravaggio. He's kind of the master of shadow and light. Thomas inspecting the wounds of the resurrected Christ. Here is a question for you. Why has God historically used the visual arts to share his message with the world? And the answer is because art is powerful. Remember, Christianity is founded on truth, but it's beauty that stirs our soul. And your sense of sight has a profound impact on your faith. Some of you aren't even watching me. You're just watching Mike over here. That's great. You know why? Because your brain, I'll walk over here. Your brain, (laughs) your brain's working overtime to process what's happening right now. Did you know this? Right now, your cerebral cortex, over one-third of your brain is working right now to visually process what Mike is doing. See, I'm speaking verbally, but visually, one-third of your brain, the highest level of functioning, is given to decoding great art and creativity, whether it's painting or sculpture or even music. I'm talking sight and sound. In the opening message of our series, I told you how the great composers of classical music, J.S. Bach, would begin his compositions by writing J.J. at the top of a blank sheet, which meant Jesu Jiva, Jesus help me. And after he finished writing his, his uh, sonata, he would write at the bottom, Solo Deo Gloria, to God alone the glory. Beethoven, he dedicated all his compositions to God, and he was deaf. And so before he began writing, he would pray and say, Holy Spirit, would you actually allow me to hear the music inside my head? And I'll be faithful to write it down. Handel, Handel recognized what he called the transcendental keys on the piano. He said, any keys with five, six, seven, eight sharps, he said, I associate that with the sound of heaven. That's actually how he wrote the Messiah. You guys know that one? And he shall reign forever and ever, forever, king of kings. You want me to keep going? You want to keep going with that? I'll rock that. You'll need more than a third of your brain to process that one. That's your job, all right? Listen, one of the primary reasons we gather every Sunday is to sing. Do you ever wonder why we sing in church? Like, you're kind of like, I'm singing in public, like, you know, seventh inning stretch maybe, but it's kind of weird when adults get together and sing. And the answer is, why do we do that? It's because that's what Scripture commands us to do. The Bible says we're to sing with joy because of Jesus, because of God's great love and Christ's sacrifice. Think of all we've been given. We have been forgiven of sin. We have been filled with the Spirit. We've received the promise of eternal life, so we have a lot to celebrate. Amen? In fact, listen to what Scripture commands in Psalm 96. David says this. He says, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among the people. David is always saying, sing, sing, proclaim, declare. In other words, over and over, God's saying, my people, I want you to sing about my goodness and my glory. That's why every single worship service at Liquid involves congregational singing. God actually commands it. So when we get together here, it's not just like, oh, you know, a little intro music before the message. We actually gather to make music. God wants worship full of sight and sound. In Psalm 50, again, David says this. He says, praise God, he gets specific, with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. In other words, God welcomes all these different instruments in worship. So I'm just going to invite our worship teams at each campus even to come up on stage now and kind of grab their instruments because we're going to weave worship in now through this kind of experience today. 
He says, praise him with the timbrel. You always wonder, what's a timbrel? It just means tambourine. And praise him with, what's this word, church? Dancing. Now, yeah, watch out. Someone's laughing here. Is this country line dancing? Is this hip hop? <laughs> it doesn't say in my notes here, but it does say God is open to you busting a move. So you get, that was not biblical. Just wipe that from your mind. But the point is, David danced with all his might before the Lord. It was full body. It was a holistic expression just of joy coming out of his heart. It says this. It says, praise him with strings. We've got guitar and pipe, horns. And then this is where I want to end here. It says, praise him with the clash of what? Say it. Symbols. Praise him with resounding what? Symbols. You guys ready to worship? It's going to get loud. Let's stand together right now. All our churches stand together. We're going to do what the Psalms say. We're going to make great. We're going to sing a new song. We're going to praise him with the crashing of symbols, and that means turn it up. Tell God how great he is. So let's respond to the Lord and make music with him. Father, we join right now with the seraphim and the cherubim around your throne. We say, holy, holy, holy. We have unclean lips and unclean hearts that just need to be cleansed right now and purified by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us of our sins and allows us to come now into your presence. Change us, Lord. Fill us now this morning during this worship encounter. We ask in the name of Jesus and everyone said together, amen, amen. Please be seated, all of our campuses. And as you are, can you just thank your campus worship team? They do such a great job leading us every Sunday. We're grateful for their musicality and gifts. I'm going to invite our ushers forward, actually, at each campus now, and they're going to pass down your row a worship guide that looks like this. Would you take one and pass it down? This is a brand new piece, and our creative team produced this for you to have and take home this week. And this is going to kind of guide the remaining segment of today's worship encounter. So just take one, pass it down your row. And uh, if you think about it, right, our first two senses, sight and sound, we've kind of already covered. We get those. There are three more senses, smell, uh, touch, and taste. And our expression, these are going to have a little bit more of a traditionalist feel to them. If you notice today at your campus, in the room is, are three stations. There's a cross in, in your room, and uh, that is the central symbol, of course, of the Christian faith. But then there's also a table with candles, and you're going to have the chance to interact. I'll explain what that means in a moment. And then finally, there are elements for communion, or what some traditions call the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. And if you recall, traditionalists connect deeply with God through ancient rituals, sacraments, and symbols. And that's what these three things really represent. In this little guide we gave you, you'll see there's an explanation for each one, the front and the back there. And although at Liquid we try to express, you know, an ancient faith in very modern ways, we just acknowledge that our faith has very ancient roots. In fact, going back 2,000 years to the time of Jesus Christ, and then 2,000 before Christ to the time of Abraham and Moses. And so for thousands of years, believers have used these sacred symbols and traditions to connect with God. If you see on the front of your guide, it says our response. It says, as we worship today, you're going to have the chance to respond to God in three different ways. And first is the cross. Now, the cross stands at the center of our faith. And as Christians, there's a reason we put the cross up there, because we believe that there is a gap right now separating every man and woman between us and our Heavenly Father. There's a gap. Sin creates this gap or this distance between us and God, your creator. Now, most religions say, hey, you got to close that gap. you got to be a good person. you got to do good deeds, and hopefully your good will outweigh your bad, and you will make it by the skin of your teeth up to God. But Christianity says not at all. 
It's just the opposite. God has come down to you, and it's called grace. Out of God's great love for you, you are his child. He sent Jesus Christ, his only son, to our world. And he lived the only sinless life in the human history. And then he died on this cross in our place for your sin to reconnect or bridge that gap to the Father. So anybody who trusts in Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave receives the promise of new life, eternal life with God and a restored relationship with him. You're adopted into his family through faith in Christ. Listen to how St. Paul describes it in Colossians 2. It's what we printed in your program there. It says, when you are stuck in your old sin-dead life, you are incapable of responding to God. But God brought you alive right along with Jesus Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, that old arrest warrant canceled, and what? Say it together, church. Nailed to Christ's cross. The cross is a symbol of God's love and forgiveness through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And the cross, if you think about it, has actually had many variations over the centuries. Uh, The cross of Eastern Orthodox believers, that is a traditional, very ornate Orthodox cross. And they said it needs to be gilded with 24 karat gold. Why? Because they said it has to show the supreme value of Christ's sacrifice. It's priceless. Now, their cross in Eastern Orthodox faith is different than the traditional crucifix that are used by Roman Catholics. Roman Catholics typically always include the body of Jesus Christ on the cross, the corpse of Christ, because they say, hey, this is central, the substitutionary sacrificial atonement of Christ. But Protestants, after the Middle Ages, they said, no, 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 we need to have an empty cross because it's a symbol of Christian victory. In other words, Protestants would say, hey, Jesus' body is no longer on the cross. Why? Because he died, and then what happened? He rose again. He's gone. And everyone who trusts in his death and resurrection has the same hope of being raised after death. Amen? That today, you're going to get up in a moment and come to the cross at your campus and make this very personal. Every worship guide, if you notice in it, has a post-it note. Can you open up and you can take that off right there? And we have given you a pen. And before you come to the cross, we're going to give you just a couple minutes to write a prayer to God. It's an anonymous prayer, and you can just address it to God. It could be a prayer of confession. Maybe it's just humbly confessing any sins or, or things that are in your life that you know need God's forgiveness. And you can just write that as a prayer. Again, you're going to keep it anonymous. And then after you're done, we're going to invite you forward, and you are going to pin it to the cross at your campus. And that is a symbol of how our sins were pinned to Jesus. He gave his life to pay for them. And anybody who confesses their sins, he removes them as far as the east is from the west. So as you take 60 seconds or so to kind of write out your prayer to God right now, I want you to have 1 John 1, 9 in your minds, because this is the promise of God. He says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, and we'll what? Say it together, church. Forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So let's take a couple minutes right now just to click your pen, write out your prayer of confession to God, and then we'll come forward at each campus.
about 20 seconds left there to write down your final thoughts or words. Okay, Liquid Church, all our campuses, I'm going to ask you to stand together. Would you stand to your feet? Before we approach the cross at your campus, we are going to pray a traditional prayer of confession. This is actually from Psalm 51. This is an ancient prayer that King David wrote. And we're going to read this out loud, an ancient prayer about 3,000 years old, as a responsive reading, meaning I'm going to read a verse out loud. And then you respond by reading the secondary verse out loud. We're going to put them on the side screens. So again, I'll read the first out loud, and then you respond in unison out loud the second verse. David writes, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty. I was a sinner when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you've crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Beginning with the first row, ushers at your campus are going to dismiss you to come forward, and you're going to symbolically pin your confession to the cross of Jesus Christ. This is our source of forgiveness and peace with God as believers. So as you come forward, pin it to the cross, and return to your seat for continued worship. Father, we thank you that you have given us the promise that when we confess our sins, they are no more. You have canceled them out. You have removed them as far as the east is from the west, and you remember them no more. So we now come to you in full assurance of faith, having received cleansing, and being adopted into your family as your sons and daughters. Father, we thank you that you have bridged that gap between heaven and earth, with the cross of your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you now. In Jesus' name, everyone said together, amen. You can be seated at all of our campuses. If you take a look in your worship guide, you'll see in a few moments we're going to receive communion, or what some traditions call the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. And it was Jesus himself who actually instituted the practice of communion, that tradition, when he gathered those closest to him and he actually served them bread and ordinary table wine, which he said represents my body and my blood. And in doing so, Jesus was actually going back 2,000 years to another tradition called the Feast of the Passover. And it was a Seder meal that dated all the way back to the time of the Exodus, where the God's people would actually take unleavened bread and bitter herbs that represented their bondage to slavery and how they needed God to set them free. And so when Jesus took those 
elements that were 2,000 years old, and he said, no, 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 now this bread is going to represent my body being broken for you. And that cup is going to represent my blood shed to forgive your sin. He actually transformed an Old Testament tradition and gave it new meaning for New Testament believers. As Paul writes in Corinthians, he says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until what? He comes. So we never receive communion out of dead ritual or habit. You never go through the motions. You recognize we are visibly proclaiming Christ's sacrificial death, and we're also proclaiming our hope that he is coming again. Amen? So if you have invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of your life, you feel free to go right through the communion line today, and at Liquid, here's how we do it. We give wafers, and you can take that wafer and dip that bread into the juice during our response time. And you should know this at every campus. We always use grape juice, simple grape juice, out of respect for our friends in recovery. We never use wine or alcoholic drinks simply because we want to support you and celebrate your sobriety. Praise God for what he's doing inside of you. But after you've received communion today, you'll then be invited to light a candle, as it describes on the back of your worship guide there. Some of you may be like, candles? What do candles have to do with this? Wait a minute, am I in a liturgical church? This is kind of interesting. Lighting candles actually dates back all the way to the Old Testament. The Lord required his people to keep lamps burning 24-7 in the tabernacle, and he led them by a pillar of fire. And that burned incense, and the smoke, they believe, symbolized their prayers rising to God, actually setting a prayer before the Lord in heaven. Now, Today, we have unscented candles. These are not like French vanilla, you know, uh, apple honey, you know, Yankee candles. But lighting candles has been an ancient symbol of prayer, really of the desire for God's guidance, for his light, the light of his presence in your life or the, the life of somebody you love. Jesus actually said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but he or she will have the light of life. So today, after you receive communion, you may want to light a candle as a way of expressing your desire for just for God's leading in his presence in your life, or maybe the light and the warmth of Christ's love in the life of someone you love who's going through a dark time. Okay, can I ask you, is there somebody in your life, maybe your family or in your sphere of influence, who's just going through a, a dark season, they're struggling, they need the light of Christ in their life. After you receive communion, you can just light a candle for them. Now to clarify here what we're doing, we are not lighting candles for dead relatives. Um, we are not praying to saints. We're actually told in the Bible to pray directly to Jesus Christ alone. And we serve a God of the living, not the dead. Amen? So when you light a candle liquid, understand what you're doing. You're simply putting a prayer before God on behalf of someone in your life or a need in your own life or the life of someone you love. You're just asking God, would you bring the warmth and love of Christ into their life? So here's how we're going to do this. I want to read 2 Corinthians here. It says this. For God, who said, I am the light of the world, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts. So we could know the glory of God that's seen in the face of Jesus Christ. So if you're a believer today, you are free to receive communion. And if you're not a believer, you're like, hey, I'm still checking things out. I'm not a Christian yet. Man, we're just thrilled you're here. Like you get to kind of get an inside look on what all these things mean. So we would just ask you to just kind of Pass through the line and uh, not partake until you're ready to actually say, Christ be Lord of my life. And then we're going to respond in worship. Before we do that, we want to have a prayer, probably the most ancient, familiar prayer, the Lord's Prayer. So let's stand together, church. Would you? We're going to pray this prayer out loud. 
Based on Matthew 6, this is what Jesus taught his followers to pray. Big, loud voice. Here we go, liquid on the side screens. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The gifts of God for the people of God. We're going to start with the first row again at your campus. Ushers are going to dismiss you to come forward and receive communion or light a candle for someone who needs the light of Jesus in their life. Then you can return for your seat and remain standing, if you would, for closing worship and our benediction. We praise you, God, three in one. We praise you, God, the Father. You created us and conceived us in love and have called us your sons and daughters. You have sent your only son, Jesus Christ. We praise you, the perfect sacrifice for our sin. And now we thank you and praise you, Holy Spirit. Fill your people now. Fill us for this week. May we be your light in a dark world. We praise you, God, that we can leave here renewed, new creations in Christ, Father God. And we thank you for all glory and praise that goes to your throne right now. In Jesus' name, everyone said together. Amen. Amen. Can we thank Mike Brennan, who did an incredible artistic interpretation today? I love it. We want to come up really with a symbol of uh, what uh, Ezekiel experienced in the presence of God. It knocked him down when he was at the throne of God. And uh, we hope you have those experiences where you're just humbled in the sight of God receive his cleansing and his purification, you realize, man, you are now filled with the Spirit to go and be his presence in this world. Uh, today, I want to close with a traditional benediction. And some of you are like, man, this is churchy. Okay, ben <laughs> benediction means blessing. It's very simple. There are dozens of blessings or benedictions actually throughout the Bible. And the one I want to send you home with today comes from the New Testament book known as Jude. And um, this is a spoken blessing. And it's just meant to be received by God's people. And oftentimes, the leaders in Israel, they'd raise their hands, and the people would open theirs as a way of receiving from God his blessing. So would you open your hands? Just open that up as a sign of saying, hey, I want to receive this blessing from God. These are from God's word from, to your heart. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious throne without fault, and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all generations now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace. You are dismissed. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday, guys. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.